And I was very motivated at that time to career transitioning for that reason was the not having that Japanese high level. everyone. Welcome to Designer Sushi, a podcast about the everyday life of a UX designer through the perspectives of two career switcher UX designers that have a shared working abroad experience in Japan. I'm your host, Mika, and I'm right now in Tokyo, Japan. And I'm your other host, Lori, and I'm located in Toronto, Canada. So welcome everyone to our first episode of Designer Sushi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting that we're going to be kicking off the first topic, which is career switching into UX. And I'm sure many of our listeners have related to this experience before because UX is one of the most popular careers to career transition into. So if you have already, if you're thinking about career transitioning or have career transition, then hopefully this episode will help in relating to our experience. So what we'll be doing is that we'll be first talking about what we were doing before and how we switched into UX. So what was our education and then we'll discuss about how we found our current job and then we'll at the end we'll share our tips in transitioning into ux so kick it off we'll start with mika first mika why don't you like give us an introduction on what were you doing before ux well when i started off in my working career i used to be a software engineer so when i was in university that was my trajectory so i studied computer engineering when i was in college And then worked for a few years as a software engineer back in the Philippines after I graduated. But then I found myself really getting bogged down by the nature of the job because obviously I have to program, I have to code. And I was really craving more of a creative role. And I just thought I wanted to switch into a different job role. But then at the time, if you want to work in a creative field, you either have to completely switch to, for example, a graphic design role, which at least, I mean, right now it's still relevant, but then it's not exactly close to what I've been doing at the time. So it's not exactly a tech career, but a more of a pure creative profession. Mm-hmm. And But then I still was craving something that's along the lines of that. But then I didn't know what role exactly would I be switching into and how. And then I can't remember, I don't have the exact recollection on how I stumbled upon UX. But then I I think I was just randomly browsing through the internet. And then I just came across this word called UX design. And I Mm -hmm. got intrigued and I thought, okay, what in the world is UX? It was, this was way back 2015. Oh, it's UX been... was probably very, it was still not understood yet. No, wow. it, it was almost like, I think that's still like the wild, wild west days of UX. In America, maybe it's already picking up at that time. But obviously, in the Philippines, most people would associate UX design as, oh, you design websites, you're a web designer. They equated being a UX designer with being a visual designer or an mm-hmm. in particular. I think that was the stereotype for UX. It was just marrying with graphic design and web design. And then the whole craft started to come together in the later years. 
exactly what I was doing before. So I was coding, but then after I learned about UX, and so I, I started diving deep in a little bit, learning about the concepts about design thinking. Over time, I got more and more interested in it. And I thought, okay, I think this is this could be the right path. I may be onto something here. And I started learning more and obviously looked for boot camps for UX. But then in the Philippines, there, there wasn't any. And so I had to do self-studying on my own. But I think that's for another section of this episode that mm-hmm. we can dive into. So what about you, Lori? What were you doing before you transitioned into UX? I just had a question. So what type of coding were you doing before? Because software engineering is, is such a broad job. So yeah, so I used to code for car audio software. The software that you have in your car, so you can connect, for example, your Bluetooth, you can connect your phone, pretty much. And so I was developing that kind of software. So it, it has a hardware element to it. So it's not just, oh, you have to code and then it's okay but you have to code in a certain way that's gonna be optimized for the hardware that's gonna it's gonna run it so that's the kind of coding it's more of a c c plus plus programming for i think to some developers that might be a bit too much but yeah that's what i was doing before sounds complicated and it can be quite challenging because the usual situation would be in your computer it would be working fine but then once you plug that software into that hardware it will crash if if for example you didn't optimize your code enough so that's the kind of problems that you can run into when you code for embedded software so that's what i was doing at the time so now i think it's your turn lori to share your story with the listeners (laughs) well thanks so much mika it's very interesting to hear how you transition from that really technical job (laughs) Software engineering and coding for cars into now UX. Fortunately for me, I never started in tech. I was considered a career hopper. I did many careers. I was working mainly in the travel industry. I did recruiting and then also a bit of English teaching. So as you can probably tell, most of my work experience was in Japan. But my main industry was the travel industry because I graduated with a hospitality and tourism with a degree. And so I worked in the travel industry in Japan for about around three years. So my main task was booking trips for foreigners to go to Japan. So most of the foreigners were from the UK or the US. And I had to send quotes to travel agents. And then on my other role was to do some hotel inspections in Tokyo. And then I did some uh, test runs of the tours, like I did food tours. And then I got to make actually sushi. Yeah. And I also had to uh, call out the suppliers and the book hotels in Japanese too. So my Japanese improved a lot at that time. So I think learning about the Japanese tourism industry with that job, I really gave me a really great experience. But this is not a travel podcast. Another episode. (laughs) Different. Yeah. Or even a different podcast. But (laughs) as you can see, I am not working in the travel industry anymore. So I obviously had some pain Mm. points. Okay. So what I didn't like about the travel industry. 
<laughs> like, yeah, there are perks in travel. Like I did travel a lot in Japan, found a lot of niche areas. What I did not like about working in the travel industry in general was that it was not very collaborative. It was very task driven. Basically, I'm just making itineraries for people and then sending them the price. So the same task, but different clients also had to deal a lot of customer service. So for me, that was very, it was a bit stressful. So dealing with that too, that was also, I didn't really enjoy that. Also, I couldn't deal with the stress of coordinating and rescheduling. And there was a lot of overtime as well to work almost like six days a week. And the money was not great in travel. And in Tokyo, Tokyo is quite expensive city. So there were days where I was just really struggling or living like the cheap life. Like I would go to eat like Caesarea every day. <laughs> Super cheap. So I was definitely looking for a new career that gave me that flexibility in nine to five life and being creative too. But what got me really interested in it was that I met a lot of tech professionals in Tokyo. So some of these tech professionals, they were expat and they were working for these big companies like at Google, Mekari, Rakuten, and they did not know any Japanese. And I was very motivated at that time to career transitioning for that reason was the not having that Japanese high level because speaking business Japanese was very stressful. And I know yeah. that I made a lot of mistakes when I was speaking to suppliers in it and it's just the added language barrier. So that yeah. got me interested in the tech industry as a general because it gave me as a foreigner an opportunity to be part of these big companies. And that was the goal of mine at the time. So I started watching a lot of YouTube videos about UX. So most of the influencers, one was Chun Buns, and she's located I in the US. Mean, yeah, I've heard of her. I think she's quite prominent, right, in, in the YouTube space. Yeah, she's one of the first, I think, to... Yeah. I think she was one of the first career transitioners, but so really mm -hmm. enjoyed her YouTube videos. And then I watched Femke, too. Femke is located in where I am, in Canada. So that got me more interested in UX just because it was everything I was looking for. I was looking for a higher pay, a job that's yeah. creative, working in tech, better opportunities, and also to opportunity to work abroad and did not need a high level of Japanese. It takes everything off. <laughs> right, exactly. So from there, and that was during my time in Tokyo at that time, as I was working overtime, I did some exploring of UX. Now that we have discussed our okay, like we know about UX now, we're in our current job in software engineering. And then in my case, yeah, in travel. So we're going to talk about now, how did we actually switch into UX? And what type of education did we actually do? So Mika, yours is really interesting. You should oh my goodness. go first. My UX education. Well, like I said, I started getting into UX around 2015. So obviously, at that time, there weren't any boot camps. So nothing. So I basically got my UX education through the internet, through books. Oh my so, gosh. So there was no boot camp in the Philippines? No. <laughs> Did they there even were... like talk about UX in the Philippines? It was no. still new, right? No. They they think if, you're, if you say UX, no one has a clue. Like, what does that mean? And oh my gosh. when I describe it to them, they're like, oh, basically a website designer. I'm like, no. <laughs> 
no, that's not how it works. Uh, and I, and so I basically would have to explain myself each time whenever I talk to them about UX because nobody's familiar with it. I mean, obviously right now, when you say UX, oh, user experience. And then even non-technical people can... I hear people who are in, in tech, they already use the word user experience whenever mm-hmm. they describe their, you know, whenever they give feedback on an app that they're using, they kind of throw that in now. But back in 2015, there weren't any boot camps. I tried finding ones online mm-hmm. and I think you know some of them. <laughs> People are probably familiar with them, but I find them too expensive for me. I couldn't afford them. I don't have the money for this. And so I opted for just buying books and that's how I actually got started. So I self-studied pretty much. And then I just took a couple of Udemy classes on UX because obviously they're more affordable than the bootcamp ones. Mm -hmm. And I started my education there. So it was a lot of reading and I would say a lot of practice uh, on my own. So Mm -hmm. I tried to learn the tools and I tried recreating some designs that I find online that I think are good. Tried recreating them on my own. And that's how I kind of got the feel of, okay, this kind of design works because for example the elements are aligned in a certain way and just reverse engineering the designs that I find online that I think are working Mm -hmm. and that's how I pretty much taught myself how to do at least at the time more on the UI side, actually, mm-hmm. more UI, but at the same time, also studying the design thinking process. Mm-hmm. The resources back then weren't as massive as they are today. Right. Wow. That must have been a challenge to, uh, yeah. to do the self-study, uh, but I can definitely understand because boot camps are extremely expensive. What type of books did you read? Well, I read this book called, it's by Robin Williams. It's, I forgot the title. Wait, the actor? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. I know it can be confusing, but, but the author's name is actually also Robin Williams. Oh, okay. It's, what a coincidence. It's the designer's book. I think the title is the designer's book for non-designers. Uh, okay. Okay. And then how many Udemy courses did you take? Just one, actually. It's it's the one by Joe Natoli. Oh, I don't think I've taken that one. That's okay. how I got started. And okay. Believe it or not, the way I started off with UI design is I used to design in Adobe Photoshop. Oh, I think that's the original though. Everyone always <laughs> did with Photoshop because Figma didn't come out until like what? Like 2018 was it? Even Sketch at the time. There was, but it wasn't available for me or maybe I wasn't just aware that it existed. But most of the design courses that I find online, they're all designing through Photoshop. So I thought, oh... I guess people use Photoshop as a tool for UI design as well. Right. So then how did you build your curriculum then? Because I think that's one, like my assumption is when you're self-studying, it's like, where do you start? And do you, are you getting the right foundations? Like how were you able to curate this education for yourself? Yeah. So I got my curriculum from the UX course in Udemy. So that's okay. how I kind of got an idea. Oh, okay, so this is what I need to learn. And from there, I I learned through Udemy, but then I also did some digging on my own, particularly on topics that I was interested in. And at the time, I was invested 
improving my visual skills because mm-hmm. I didn't have a graphic design background or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a good start. And so I did some studying on my own. And then I used the like the curriculum in the Udemy UX course as sort of a guide to my own learning and so Mm -hmm. that's how I kind of structured my studying and my learning and overall I think that worked out pretty well for me UX (laughs) UI so you did really well Uh. well for me Uh, but then the only struggle that I had back then was it was just me trying to learn UX there weren't other people in my workplace or even uh, among my peers who were particularly familiar with UX. It's it's like a secret that I have all on my own that I wanted to share with other people, but either they weren't really interested or they weren't familiar with it. Oh my gosh, carrying this heavy burden on yourself. <laughs> So yeah, and so Lori, how how about you then? Like, how did you learn about UX? Uh, so I first learned I, I first learned about it during university. But then once I got I was in Tokyo, that was when I started to do more research about my UX education, because on the side, I can do that and then work full time in my job, which is in travel. And so at first, I was exploring coding, actually, mostly front end coding. So I did actually go to I don't know if you heard you heard of like code chrysalis or women who code Tokyo meetup. Yeah, so I Actually, yeah. Okay. So I actually did go to a few of their meetups, maybe about three of them. And so we would get our laptops and then they would, and then we would use like Code Academy and we just learned. And then there's someone there to facilitate and like teach us how to code. And for me, I wasn't able to wrap my head around code, even front end as well too. <laughs> I think it was just a bit difficult for me to understand processes and logic. So I decided, okay, maybe coding is not the way to get into tech. And so then I saw there were some sample UX. UI class in Tokyo by La Wagon Tokyo, which is a boot camp. Pretty prolific here in yeah, Tokyo. Yeah, exactly. And then our good friend too, was, it graduated mm-hmm. from there. So they actually had some free sample classes to take at nighttime. So I took their UX and UI class there. Mm. And I was learning just the basics. It was just very generic rundown. It was only for an hour. So they're just explaining what UX is. And then yeah. just giving like a rundown. I was like, oh, it's just solving problems and then providing solutions for users. I'm like, oh, okay, um, that's pretty cool. And then they gave us persona guideline and how to use it. So it was really funny because it was in Tokyo. Like most of our personas were about Japanese users. So I remember we were solving for a Japanese salary man. He's working overtime, has no time to even go to the bathroom, but he needs to eat. So we were solving for a way to how do we provide him very fast restaurants that are close to him and that are less than five minutes of delivery. So we were like thinking of solution of that. So I remember remember that vivid. So then I did take a, a UI class from Laiwagan Tokyo. And yeah, and then after that, I was like, okay, I, this is really cool. I really like how uh, creative this is. And the opportunities seem to be really, it looked like a promising career. Yeah, so then I think after I took those classes in between, it was just in 2019, I decided to quit my job at that time that was recruiting, I decided to quit it full time. So I was actually 
unemployed for a few months. I had nothing lined up. I just quit just like that because I was just so fed up with working jobs that I was not interested in. Hmm. And mm -hmm. so at that period of unemployment, I was definitely thinking of, okay, like I really need to switch into UX now. This is it. I saw this as a calling. And so I actually was planning on taking La Wagon, but then I realized the curriculum, it was more, it seemed like web developed curriculum style. And I remember my coding experience was not fun. I was thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to fail because I could not understand coding. And then another issue that I totally lost sight of was that my visa was expiring and I quit my full-time job. And we all know in Japan, they have really strict visa policies. So you really, you need a company to yeah. sponsor you. So I did not because I was, I quit my job and my visa and I didn't realize that my visa was sponsoring. So I, it was a bit of an oversight on my end. I was like, oh shoot, like if I take, go sign up for the wagon, then that means that I, my visa will run out and then I, what, what's like, it will run out at the time um, mm. when I'm taking that boot camp. And so I think that's another challenge if you're a foreigner is that you have to consider the visas too. So, but then I wasn't really clicking with the curriculum at La Wagon. So then I was like, okay, I saw this as a sign. Maybe I have to go back home to, to Toronto because it, my visa was expiring. And I also saw that UX was more mature there compared to in Japan at that time. So I, yeah, with a heavy heart, I left Tokyo, like my life that I created there. I was very upset about that, but I felt that was the right decision to make. I just mm. saw all these signs that I had to leave. So I decided to go back home from my life that I built in Tokyo to go back in Toronto. And from there, I decided to take a boot camp, which is called General Assembly. They're very famous globally, but they're mostly yes. have a presence in the US and Canada. So I decided to take actually a boot camp there. So quite different from Yumika. That's an amusing story because I didn't know that in Japan that so if you join the wagon that you'll get in trouble with your visa is that the gist yeah when I was thinking about it like they were starting a month before my visa expired so I was uh... like oh sh yeah and I was like oh shoot I didn't even think of that but I didn't sign up for them though I was I actually like had a call with them and I was having second thoughts the second thought was the coding aspect of it too. Mm. even though I knew a couple of successful UX designers that graduated from there it was just the coding I don't know if I could have handled yes yeah, so then I wanted more of a UX specific curriculum and I felt that General Assembly gave that to me but yeah so then I started during the pandemic actually at General Assembly so it was remote because mm -hmm. it's a boot camp they have a set curriculum so I learned all the yeah. fundamentals and the theory there such as design thinking and like prototyping wireframing double diamond method persona user flows all that fun stuff and it was for eight hours five days a week for three months so it was basically full-time for three months oh it's and... an intensive boot camp mm -hmm. yeah it really was I really wanted the in-person experience but because I was doing it during COVID it was during remote so I didn't get that in-person experience which kind of sucks so yeah it was also really fast-paced too so a lot of times my brain was overloaded with information and didn't have a lot of time to sink in and yeah and we worked on five projects in total. Most of the projects were in groups and they were mostly with the other UX design students. And a lot of times we had to present our work, like I would say, yeah, 100% of the time it was. And then we get feedback from them. What I really enjoyed about General Assembly was that it really had a structured curriculum because I am someone that cannot be motivated. Like I am so bad at being motivated that I need someone to tell me. I need accountability. So I felt that being in a boot camp would help with that. And I needed 
needed someone that was an expert to tell me uh, where I did things wrong. And also, I wanted to meet other new designers just for the networking purposes, also the community of it. So that's what I really enjoyed about General Assembly. But like what I didn't really enjoy was that the projects, they were a good practice to UX, but I wouldn't consider them to be a portfolio piece just because everyone else in our bootcamp, they were all doing that project. So it didn't really differentiate mm. myself right, as a designer because we're all going to have a similar concept when we're applying for jobs. So I didn't really enjoy that part of it. And then also I didn't get to collaborate with other tech disciplines as well. So I didn't know how they would fit in the world of like products. So I didn't know like how did a product manager fit in when I was working with them or uh, like what happens after my designs are complete? Like what does a dev do next? And another aspect was it didn't really focus on the UI and visual design of the curriculum. So I felt that after graduating, I felt that my UI and visual design was lacking a lot. And that is super important in getting a job in UX because it is the first impression of yourself as a designer. Like they'll see that mm. first. I felt that I really needed to sharpen my UI skills after my bootcamp. And then if it helped me prepare to get a job, yes and no. It like Don't did. they have like the career consulting service? They did. But here's the thing. See, like General Assembly, they told me that they will help with the career tips, like to look at your resume and to mm. uh, teach you how to network. But they never really promised you a job after they set that expectation. Like it's up to you as a person mm -hmm. to find that job, which I totally understand that. I think a lot of people, when they take boot camps, they think that they can get a job after the boot camp will promise that. But I mm. came in with that expectation because that's what they told me. It was that they're not going to give me a job. It's just that they're going to help. And I came with that expectation. It's like, okay, I need to own my own success. Like I need to take ownership of my life and find the jobs myself. So like, yes and no, it did help. But I felt that as someone that's, that's thinking about taking a boot camp, they're not going to get a job at the end. They're just going to help with the career counseling yeah. and, right, and the resume looking. So I didn't really feel prepared in applying for jobs. So I had to get more practical experience and distinguish mm. myself from other new designers. So I did join another pilot program. It's called Colab, which they're doing amazingly well, which is they give you that practical experience to work with different tech professionals, like a software developer and a product manager. So I did do that after my bootcamp. And I think that helped a lot more. But now they're like super successful now. Oh, so cool. You get to experience it first. Ah, okay. Maybe I should check that out as well. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot, but they did so well in giving that collaborative environment in the tech world. Because then if you're working with designers all the time, obviously it's going to be biased. We're all going to think of like design stuff. We're not thinking of like the business perspective and we're not even thinking about the technical constraints too. So it was like really nice, refreshing from a boot camp. So yeah, I definitely, if you really are someone like me, that's not, like, not motivated to in self-study and need someone that keeps you accountable and needs that, that professional person to critique on your work, I definitely recommend General Assembly. It really helped me learn just the fundamentals and the theory of UX. Yeah. And yeah, you can network with other designers too. I think the community was what sold me there. I see. Well, the thing is, okay, it's interesting because we both have different ways of learning because you said that you like learning more when you when you have an accountability partner pretty much mm -hmm. and a structure and pretty much for me it's more of I need autonomy like I need to learn at my own pace in my own way and 
usually in my case, I almost always learn it on the job. So I don't really do well in learning it first and then and then I apply it on the job. I thrive more in, okay, I get thrusted into this project and then, okay, then I guess I'll learn about this thing now because I don't know how to do it. But mm-hmm. because I'm in this project where I have to learn it, but still it's on my own terms. So kind of how it was when I moved to Japan and, and worked at a Japanese company, I didn't know C++ programming language mm-hmm. back then, but they just threw me in the project and, oh, you have to code in C++ here. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just look at the code. And then two weeks later, I'm already coding in C++. And oh I just learned goodness. on the job. I think what tech you need to learn on the job though, because like in my experience, yeah. when you start off as a designer, there's not really much of a orientation or onboarding as other jobs. Like I know like in travel, I think I was training for like a month, but then now at my in design, I probably only do training for like a week just to understand the company and their protocols. And then I'm like straight into design. Yeah, tech is more about the practical experience. So exactly. mm -hmm. Okay, so now that we got all of our education, and now we're (laughs) like, okay, I can finally do UX now. Let's go look for a job in UX. So how was that like Mika first starting you off? (laughs) For me, it was a roller coaster ride because it took me a long time to find a job because when I moved to Japan, so obviously I was working for a different company back then as a software engineer. And at the time, I wasn't in Tokyo. I was in Shizuoka where it's not exactly the tech hub of Japan. Oh yeah, that's like like Shinkansen, like two hour or one hour Yeah, two or two and a half hour Shinkansen ride. Oh wow, that's far. It's pretty far from Tokyo. And the companies usually in those areas, they're more focused on manufacturing and I did development there for machines that are going to be used in factories and although at the time I already expressed my interest in doing more design work so well I'm thankful for my managers because they really tried to cater to my desires for the role and they every design related task that they have they always give it to me because they say okay Mika said that she wants to do more design okay we'll give her all the design work that we have here and so I did that but it's still not as much as I would like to do Mm because the responsibilities that I have were still leaning more towards development and I was starting to get a little bit more bogged down by doing development tasks and so I started looking for jobs in Tokyo because usually the designer roles are there so I was looking through it in LinkedIn and oftentimes there are recruiters in Tokyo who will reach out to you if you set your location on LinkedIn to Tokyo or to Japan in general they would reach out to you and pitch you these job openings Mm -hmm. and if you're interested then they will refer you to these companies and that's pretty much how I got my first job but took me a long time so it took me I think about I think more than a year even and the reason for that was I was getting referrals but then I wasn't getting the job because they usually require a certain level of Japanese language skill that always is the pain point of mine (laughs) and an obstacle right and so I didn't have it and so they were either looking for someone who is a little bit more senior Mm -hmm. or they were looking for someone who is at least I think N2 level in Japanese and I didn't have any of those things so I would get turned down for the job and it got to a point where I thought okay I think if let's say if I don't get hired within this 
this year or you know within this time period then I think I can find another role or another outlet I would say and then I got this email from a recruiter and then she referred me to this job role and I got the interview and I it was pretty short interview too it lasted for just about 15 minutes and the way I assessed it at first I thought well maybe I'm not gonna get it this time because in my head I was like if I didn't get this job then I think UX might not be for me that's Mm -hmm. what I was thinking Mm -hmm. but then three days later they emailed me oh they want to hire you I'm like oh it's like at the last minute I got hired you know that feeling like you were about to and then no no you're not quitting and then they hired me and then that's how I got my uh, first UX role yeah came from like yeah. the small town in Shizuoka yeah and then... I'm moving to the big city did you have to travel a lot for the interviews there because I'm no like, my... oh because my assumption is that Japan they really value the face-to-face interview so most of it was like during remote yeah oh they were, they were trendsetting before COVID yeah so because I was in Shizuoka and they were in Tokyo so we had to do the interview remotely oh yeah. wow no wow that's really great it sounds like yeah. uh, the company was really flexible wow because i know some japanese companies they probably make you go to tokyo for and then do like an hour interview and then you have to go back to shizuoka and that's just too time consuming uh, yeah for i think for some companies they still do that but then obviously when covid happened that changed everything so yeah i that's how i got my first job and then obviously when i applied i had portfolio with me mm-hmm. and the projects that i got there were mostly self initiated projects and I didn't know exactly how to construct your portfolio and so Mm -hmm. I just researched it like I just look at different portfolios online and then I just look at the patterns and and that's how I learned to construct my own portfolio and I thought oh okay so they construct their case studies this way they state the problem they state the the approach and then they share the result then that this is the format so that's that's just basically how I constructed mine and thankfully that was enough for me to land my first UX role so how about you Lori like how long did it take you ah so for me it took about probably about six months after my boot camp so within those six months I was volunteering and then I did get a UX gig for an early stage startup so I was the solo UX designer but that didn't really require interview so it was through a network of mine so I don't even consider that as my first job but then during that time while I was helping a friend with his startup it wasn't it didn't take that much of my time I was applying for jobs so my intention was to apply for UX jobs that the jobs that I really wanted so I wasn't spamming my resume everywhere I was very intentional in where I wanted to apply and then based off of that I would tailor my resume my resume and my application on that so in total I believe I applied for 12 jobs and then got three interviews from this approach so I do recommend to tailor applications because yeah, it helps with the getting an interview success rate. And then some of the challenges that I experienced with job hunting, it was definitely the networking. I had such a hard time networking because in Canada, that's how you get the job is right. you have to you have to go on LinkedIn and network and cold reach people, people that you never even talk to and build that connection with them. And so I didn't really like this approach in Canada. I mean, I know that this is how, the way to get inserted or get your 
you're in into the company. Yeah. And it, it wasn't really a thing in Tokyo. Like Tokyo, we had recruiters to get us in. But mm -hmm. in Canada, you kind of you had to be your own recruiter and sell yourself. So that was the one struggle I had to go back to deal with was that because I never really did that back home in Canada. So what I did was that I did join a lot of design communities. I did join Creative Tokyo, which is my favorite yeah. design community out yeah. there. <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah and then hexagon ux and design buddies so i felt that these smaller communities on slack and discord they really helped to build that connection and they were more approachable too than linkedin because linkedin can be a jungle yeah. out there so the, honestly the main challenge was definitely getting back to applying for jobs in canada and trying to get recultured back into canadian culture because i was more successful in job applications in tokyo whereas in canada it's kind of like you got to be friends with someone that you know to get that job so it's a bit of more of a of a oh. political game and the, whereas in japan it was more of like your application or your rec or like recruiting yeah as well so i was actually getting a bit discouraged in that sense too is to like okay yeah but luckily i saw one person post a job on linkedin for my current job and then i reached out to that person and then we started chatting yeah. and then he referred me after that i did a few of the interviews like through a phone screening portfolio review and then yeah, had conversations with managers. And then yeah, I managed to get the job that I'm at. So I'm really thankful that they saw my working abroad experience as a added asset, not as a hindrance or as a weakness. So I'm really thankful that they took that in consideration. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Because I think, for example, in your case, with getting hired in Canada. I mean, it's quite understandable if they would mistake you for Japanese if the bulk of your experience is in Japan. It actually helped me be more understanding mm -hmm. to foreigners that are looking for as a job too in UX. Mm -hmm. So that's actually, that was like one of my intentions, like for this podcast as well too, to share, hey, like, you know, I've also been through your situation as well. So I can definitely empathize mm -hmm. and understand that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there for every job hunting, wherever you are, there's always a challenge that comes with it. And yeah, I mean, even for me, Obviously here, if you're a foreigner in Japan and you want to look for a job, even though it's still a purely, let's say they, it's a job that doesn't require Japanese language, you still need to know Japanese either way. You're designing for the most part Japan market. And so you need to be familiar with the language and the culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand with that too, because in Japan, it's you're in Japan. So you have to know you have to speak Japanese to survive. So I can understand from their perspective. But now that we're in our UX career now, we like to share some of our tips that we've have experienced to share for those that are wanting to yeah. uh, career switch into UX. So one of my tips is to, so when you're networking, definitely start building the relationship first. Uh, mm. Don't think of it as getting a job as the end because they're going to see that as desperate. So always start early. Don't wait until you're looking for a job. So because there are some people where I've networked with at the beginning mm. and then there was a job opening and then I actually thought of them and it's like, oh, okay, like, I'm going to ask if this person's interested in the job. And I've actually referred them to that yeah. job. So, and also don't look at LinkedIn. Try to join some of these design Slack or Discord groups, like, yeah, like Creative Tokyo, mm -hmm. Hexagon UX, Design Buddies. These were my favorite ones. And they're, they're very supportive and it's much easier to network than LinkedIn. And yeah, look to volunteer and do non-paid work to gain practical experience because now that UX is getting really uh, competitive, like my second tip is just 
that you need to stand out from the crowd. There's a thousand of applicants. So it's just not enough to do a boot camp now. So you need to show more in your portfolio. And in order to get that, it really needs to be that practical experience. So try and find that through volunteering. And so Mika, what about you? What type of tips would you like to share to our listeners? Yeah, so for me, like I said earlier, it took me a little over a year to get my first UX job. So my first tip is try not to take that long. <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done. Bye. Yeah, that's my first tip. <laughs> no, but uh, kidding aside. So I would say for those who are trying to transition into a UX career, don't get too bogged down on, oh, where should I get my UX education or oh, should I join the bootcamp or whatever? Because the thing is, when you're trying to find a job, it's not, it doesn't really matter where you got your UX knowledge from. The more important thing is how you constructed your portfolio. And my advice would be to construct your case studies in a way that's going to highlight your strength in your background. So for example, if you're working for, if you used to be, let's say, okay, for example, you're a cook. Let's see. <laughs> but then for some reason, you want to transition into UX. So I think a good case study for that kind of professional transitioning into a career in user experience would perhaps food app or something along those lines, because it matches with your background and it plays to your strengths It's and it's unique to you. So make your case study in a way that is going to be highlighting your experience, your background. Because the thing with UX is the more diverse your background is, the more marketable you're going to be mm -hmm. uh, in the space. I agree. And I would say lean into that. And me, I was a software engineer. And so obviously when I pitch myself to the in the job interviews, the thing that I highlighted was I used to code. And because of that, I know how to work with development teams because I am familiar on how they operate and I know what a feasible design looks like. So I'm going to be making things that I know that can be implemented by the developers. So when you apply for a job, really look into your own strengths, really recognize them, and then make your case studies unique to your own experience. So don't try and format it the way the projects from boot camps are, because usually recruiters or even, for example, designers, senior designers, they would know straight away if it's from a boot camp or not, if that case study is a boot camp kind of project. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course, like Lori said, try as much as possible to network your way within your community, within your area, because that is a more organic way of finding jobs and it's going to give you a higher chance of getting hired into your desired company. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, those are great tips, Mika. Yeah. Yeah, and one last thing. Oh, yeah, I just remembered. So if, for example, you have a target company, and I think for the most part, for example, with design agencies, they usually post their projects on their website, and they and you can see there the kind of projects that they do. So if you want to apply for whatever type of company, then you need to tailor your portfolio in a way that's going to be mirroring what they're already doing. Because that will also give them a sense of familiarity when they look at your portfolio and they're going to be more inclined to hire you because they would look at it and go, oh, she's already doing similar things like how we do in our company. And so that's going to give you an edge. 
to be picked as the right candidate, as the right person for the job. Yeah, that's definitely a tip. I definitely wish I, I wish I took, but I wish I also had it when I was starting. <laughs> I know that's why we're sharing it because this is what we wish we wanted to do. So yeah. we hope these tips will yeah, but help people, everyone. A, please don't take a year. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't take you a year to get your first job. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, below a year. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Ultimate question yeah. is. Are we satisfied with our career decision? Because we career transitioned, we yeah. spent so much time and money in UX. So are we satisfied? Yeah, for me, uh, yeah, I'm 100% satisfied. I, I definitely feel like this career is for me. I've career hopped for such a long time now. So I feel definitely at home in tech and in UX, and it suits what I'm looking for. So like in my career, I'm looking for impact, collaboration, creativity, and problem solving. And I love that UX design can create an impact on people's lives. And this is why I'm just really into like the social justice area of design and like social change, because I really think that design can help in creating a story and impact through those. And for my previous career, like what Mika said, was that it definitely helped, it helped leverage my experience into UX. So I feel my previous career was not a waste of experience. In fact, I think it was like provided me an advantage and an asset. So like, for example, like in my past as in travel and like in recruiting, it made me think of like business strategy and then dealing with constant changes, adapting communicating with clients and also working in Japan too really helped me to be more strict with myself. I mean, Japan has such a high standard for the, the work culture is quite intense. So it made me more strict and catching attention to detail with myself because their work process is quite structured. And also with the famous, the omotenashi, which is Japanese hospitality, I'm always yeah. trying to think of that when I'm interacting with people and even like with my designs as well too. So to bring that aspect of Japanese culture into here into Canada, this is what I see as an advantage. So don't even think of that as a hindrance in when switching to UX design. It is always a great advantage to leverage your previous experience, especially international experience, like definitely exactly. opened my mind and gave me a different perspective from my coworkers. And I am able to understand even if I collaborate with other foreigners in my company, I can totally understand their cultural experience as well, just from my international background. But yeah, Mika, is this the right career for you? Are you looking to go back nah, to software? Right. <laughs> nah, not really. No, nah, I'm kidding. <laughs> definitely no regrets, of course. I'm right with you on that. Lori, because I was also seeking out a role that I can do so many things with because in UX, you can, there's a plethora of roles that you can take on within UX, like user research, uh, visual design, ideation. You know, if, if you like collaboration, then you, I think your listeners who like to work with different people and who like to really socialize and put ideas out there. I think another aspect of design is the workshops, the ideation sessions. And I think the people who are into those kinds of things would also find that enjoyable within the role of UX. And for me, no regrets at all. And it definitely placed me in a headspace that, okay, this is it for me. This is the career for me. And as far as how my previous job role impacted my performance in 
a UX job? Well, obviously, coming from software engineering, it definitely helped in a way that whenever I collaborate with developers, I kind of already sense if they can deliver because I already have an idea how long things usually take to be constructed on their end. And so that really was a, a huge help in terms of collaboration. And even sometimes I get to like look at what they're doing and I would understand their code because the thing with programming is that if you're familiar with the logic, the algorithm, you don't have to worry too much about the programming language itself because as long as the logic is the same, you'll be able to kind of make out what the code is about. Mm -hmm. So that's how it usually is with programming. And yeah, that's how it is for me. I have no complaints. Obviously, it's not a perfect role in any way. There are going to be challenges. And sometimes I would have days where I would feel confused because I wouldn't know what to do exactly. Because in the end, you're solving problems as a UX designer. And there are instances where it can get really challenging. I don't know if you've had these days, Lori, but in my case, I sometimes would have creative blocks. Like I would have <laughs> moments where like I get stuck mm-hmm. in a problem and I don't know what to do. I think, yeah, there were some days that I would have that, like just feeling unmotivated. And yeah, yeah and then in some days I was like, how do I solve this problem? It's so ambiguous. I'm not getting the right information. And there's some days I'm just like, I don't know like where to start. So yeah. um, I think since in UX, it's because it's not very structured. There's so many ways you can solve the problem. So it really yeah. does help to have different perspectives in it. Because like there's some days I'm like, am I even doing this right? <laughs> like, is this the right solution? Like uh, sometimes in my mind, I'm always like, is this right? But that's the beauty of design is that it's always changing and iterating. It's a live piece of work. Yeah. It, it's not going to like stop. It's always dynamic and growing. So it's yeah. like a plant. It keeps getting better the more you give it love. Challenge, and that's the beauty. That's what the challenge and the beauty of design. And I can totally see myself evolving in this career. And so I am 100% satisfied. And I'm happy that I was patient enough to see it through. Because I was almost on the verge of like quitting it and just throwing in the towel and just looking for another opportunity. But then that company that hired me at the last minute really brought me back. And thankfully, I was able to land that first job. And then the rest is history. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. We're always looking to improve as we're just starting this podcast. So if you have any feedback or topics you want to share with us, please follow and DM us at Instagram, designer.sushi, Twitter, designersushi, or you can send us an email at designersushipodcast at gmail.com. And to get updates on new episodes, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts at Designer Sushi. Thanks everyone for the support and catch us again for the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.